Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about HP St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey. Hi everyone, this episode will be a little different. It's meant to be a tribute episode where we remember some of our colleagues who are no longer with us. A couple of notes before we get going. First, this is really not supposed to be a sad episode. The whole idea is to share some stories and memories and hopefully bring a smile to your face as you think back and remember these folks. It's not a funeral. You'll hear from 15 different HPers, each taking a few minutes to share some thoughts about someone who has passed. Second, I know this probably isn't a complete list. If I miss someone who was close to you, please accept my apologies. I I meant no disrespect by doing that. It's been a little bit difficult tracking this all down because a lot of this has been shared by word of mouth. It's definitely not perfect. And lastly, to the 15 people who agreed to meet with me and record, thank you so much. Okay, with that introduction, let's get started. Hello, this is Mark Dankers, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my good old friend, Wayne Hughesby. Uh, I can still remember the night when Wayne and I became close friends. Uh, We were at an annual HP sales awards party in January of 1982. We were at the Schumacher Hotel in good old New Prague, Minnesota. Wayne and his wife, Gloria, they had a shared table with Lori and, me, Lori and me. After several bottles of wine we drank that night, as I'm sure all of you remember the good old parties HP used to have, uh, we became very good friends that night and forever thereafter. I also remember that same evening that it was a very cold night. It was so cold, I think we got it got down to 35 below zero. And waking up the next morning, uh, we all had new HP company cars, but back in those days, we had them for like three years, so you didn't get a new one every year. But Wayne and I were fortunate to get our brand new Malibus that fall in November. And guess what? Two of the 14 cars only started the next morning. Wayne's and mine were the first, or were the only two cars that started. Uh, so we had to help start the other cars that day by jumping them. It took us till like two o'clock in the afternoon to get all the cars going. Uh, I guess on another note, Wayne Wayne was such a great guy. And I remember one of my good old friends from college, Kevin Maxwell, and I would always call Wayne Mr. Congeniality because he was such a nice guy. And Wayne had all kinds of friends and everyone just loved him. Um, He was such a a great mentor to me and a father figure, uh, which I needed very much because I was only in my younger 20s when I first met him. And he taught me so much about sales and definitely kept me out of a lot of trouble. Wayne really enjoyed the outdoors. And I often pheasant hunted with him. I goose hunted with him. We fished many times on good old Lake Osakas at our annual fishing trip that Ron Enwith always organized with about 20 other HP people. Wayne had a great fishing boat that was rigged for fishing. So I always volunteered to, to fish with Wayne. We also ice fished several times in a nice house on Lake Mille Lacs. I remember one night that it got also very cold there. It was on like 25 below zero. And if you've never slept on the ice at night when the ice cracks and wakes you up, that night we very we very seldom even got to sleep that night. So it was, uh, it was an interesting evening on the ice, and we thought for sure that the ice shack was going to fall through the ice. And a funny note about Wayne, I can still remember um, – that he nicknamed our annual sales meeting in January up at the American Club in Kohler, Wisconsin, Toilet World. And the reason for that was because the Kohler company was located there in Kohler. And I remember that he actually named it Toilet World when we're going through the tour of the Kohler Museum on a very cold January day. Some things like that you just don't forget. I can honestly say that Wayne was loved by all, especially all of his coworkers and his customers. I am so glad that I was able to call him my close friend. Rest in, rest in peace, old friend Wayne. We certainly all miss you. Hello, my name is Vicki Behrens, and I'm going to tell you a story about Greg Lutischer. 
I'm sure many of you remember um, that he was intelligent and funny and kind. But what I really want you to remember the most about Greg is that he was very compassionate. He had a great sense of humor, of course, and his laugh was contagious. Um, he has always been a happy, hopeful, and a man that always smiled, even during all his life challenges, right? So what is important um, to remember about Greg is he had just oodles of compassion. For example, back in 2011, I had surgery. And at the same time, he was going through his chemotherapy. And he was so worried about me. He would call me every day and he would bring me lunch like once or twice a week. And for Greg to bring me lunch in the middle of his chemo, he it, it took him probably three hours, right? He was He looked very old and he also... Um, walked with a cane, and he had lost his hair, and he was at his, you know, at his hardest moments in his life, but he was so compassionate, he would bring me Panera soup and salad, and um, come over and try to take care of me, and make me feel better, and so if you ever want to think about um, Greg, and how great he is, think about not only his intelligence and funny and great laugh, but his compassion was the best. Greg, we miss you. My name is Paul Shermack, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, my old friend, Mike Anderson, a uh, friend of many of you as well. Um, actually, my my time with Mike dates back to uh, Rolling Meadows. Uh, maybe some of you didn't know, he was actually the Delcon uh, regional sales manager, which was part of old Salesforce 01 at the time. And, and Mike and I got to know each other uh, over a, a few drinks uh, down the street from the Rolling Meadows office. Uh, later on, Mike moved to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and he was part of our, our team in, on Marpenter. And Mike uh, was a uh, one of the area sales managers uh, that we had. And he actually was a workstation. He, he joined the workstation group and and loved, uh, loved dealing with uh, a lot of the Apollo folks that, that came on board. So Mike, uh, Mike loved to uh, be part of that workstation group. And he and I shared a lot of funny stories together on that. Uh, we, um, we talk about uh, his, his ability to tease Ken Murray. Ken Murray lived up near Balsam Lake in that area. And so uh, Murray would have a few drinks. And then uh, actually one time Ken Murray, this isn't about Ken Murray, but he fell asleep at the drive through McDonald's on the way home there. So uh, he definitely had a hard, uh, fun time with, uh, with our friend Mike. We also enjoyed a lot of fishing together up at Balsam Lake. Mike always sponsored the annual uh, Balsam Lake fishing opener. Um, I know Ron Enruth and a lot of the folks uh, used to go to that um, and, and really enjoyed it. Um, my wife Susie and I had a chance to stay uh, up at Balsam Lake a few times with Mike and Carol Bell, uh, his uh, significant other. Uh, when uh, we think of Mike, I think of a couple of things. Um, he loved dry beef eater martinis. And he, he would always uh, be able to say, I'd like a dry beef eater martini. After a few of those, he always would end up the night with a, a nice glass of Harvey's Bristol cream. And I don't know if many of you know, but Mike was also a veteran. Uh, he served the country. He was a U.S. Marine, and he his famous saying was always, uh, "Every day is a holiday. Every meal is a banquet." Something he learned in the Marine Corps. So Mike uh, was known and loved by many in the St. Paul office. I know um, uh, he was sure a good friend of mine, and I just want to say we miss you, Mike.
Hello, my name is Bridget Schmidt. I'm the wife of Jerry Schmidt, one of your former great employees who spent 20 years loving HP and everybody in it. Some of the fun things that Jerry always liked to remember were the fun holidays where he got dressed up as a clown one year. And he always remembered um, going around and fooling the girls because they'd all complain about their thermostats being too cold or too hot. What you guys may not know is that Jerry never touched the thermostat. He made it look like he did, but he lied to you. So that was one of his secret passions. And the other was the day he had to clean up the fire coming out of the microwave because one of the girls set the microwave to do popcorn on uh, 10 minutes instead of one minute. And there were flames coming out it. Many of you will remember all of the wrestling matches going on in the back room at Shipping and Receiving. Um, they, he and all the guys, they loved that time of day where they got to be comrades in uh, a sport. And, you know, he just loved everybody at HP. And he was always a giver and a doer. And with that, I'm going to let you have your share of memories and say, Goodbye and love you and miss you, Jer. Well, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Mark O'Brien, and uh, I was uh, good friends with Colin Dickey, uh, as many of you were. And I'll tell you about a story about uh, Colin's, Colin's 40th birthday party when uh, his wife, my wife, uh, his partner at the time, this is shortly after uh, he had left left HP, um, and his mother-in-law were all uh, in cahoots to Shanghai him and take him on down to the Boca Raton um, Resort and Beach Club, which we had all been to many times in, in various sales-related sales activities. And it was a beautiful place. His partner told Colin with very short notice that he had to fly. He had to fly down to Chicago and uh, make a presentation to investors about the startup that they were they had they had gotten off the ground and and they were working through at the time. And Colin argued with them because he felt that his partner was better suited to make the presentation and and that the audience he didn't think the audience was uh, was appropriate time to make this particular presentation and his. His partner was adamant that no, you got to go, and it's got to be you. And so, Colin at the uh, uh, the last minute had to, you know, make reservations and get everything lined up, and and uh, and of course, Colin Colin was never really big on details. He always wait till the last second, you know, to, to do anything. He was very good at what he did. Don't get me wrong, but there were some things that he, he kind of let slide till the last second. Anyways, uh, he, he runs home, and here his mother-in-law, Kim's nowhere to be found. His, that's his wife. His mother-in-law is there at the house. She, she was there to, to watch the kids. Little did he know, and because and, Kim wasn't scheduled to go there. And so he's scrambling in the closet. He's trying to throw together some clothes. He can't find his shoes, and he can't find the clothes that he wanted, some clothes he wanted to take with him, too. So he got all excited, and, and I won't use the profanity that Colin was uh, well known for, but um, he uh, he took off, headed to the airport. Now, his wife, Kim, my wife, Kim, and, and myself, we were already at the airport. We were checked in. We were down at the gate, and time is just going, uh, going by really fast. They're literally boarding the plane, and we have no idea where Colin is, and so I call him, and I didn't tell him who it was, but and, and he picked up the phone and I, I just said, where are you? He says, oh, I'm pulling in the parking lot. Well, get your ass down to the airplane. You're, you're running late. And he's like, oh, 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 and I hung up on him. So then I went up by the, I went up by the, uh, past the, uh, uh, the gate. Uh, this was pre, this was pre 9-11. And so I'm kind of looking out for him without him being able to see me. And so he comes, he finally comes on in, he goes in and, you know, he's, he checks in and he starts heading down there and I'm 
who kind of sneak in behind him and make sure he doesn't get waylaid somewhere. And he shows up at the front. Turns out they had to, Kim, the two Kims had to coax the airline into not closing the door because the, you know, they, they want to take off and he's running late. And, and, uh, <laughs> Uh, so he comes on down there. They convince him to keep to hold the plane, and he comes on down and he sees Kim, the two Kims, and then all of a sudden he realizes I come walking up behind him. He goes, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> well, we're going to Florida. We're going to Florida. Not going to no. You're going to Florida. We're going to. It's your birthday. We're we we're, we're, we're taking you down there. He was so pissed. The whole trip down, he was. Human, you know, we thought he'd go, Oh, god, oh, that's great, yeah, oh, geez, what a relief. No, he was pissed. And then we, it turns out, we ended up taking almost all day to get down there because we had connecting flights and this and that. And uh, but we got on down and we spent the we spent it was early May, his birthday was so we had a great time. Um, well, we met, we miss you, Colin. Hello, uh, uh, I am Susan Woods, and I'm here to talk about Eddie Slavin. And boy, where to start with that? Honestly, I have very fond memories of her. Eddie gave me a chance to get back into sales when nobody else in the uh, in the Larpenter office would give me a chance. I still treasure her for that. Did she love her wine, or did she love her wine? Yes, Eddie loved her wine. Uh, I have a really fond memory of my first trip. Uh, that I ever made to a California winery was with Eddie after a client briefing in Cupertino. And we went to several wineries, but one of them was Visatui. And there was a big picnic ground outside and we had cheese and bread and, you know, a charcuterie before they were pr uh, probably uh, very popular. And Eddie introduced me to wineries in California. I've been back many times since, but that is still one of my fondest memories. Eddie loved fine dining. She also loved to cook and frequently had us over to her house as a team. I remember Reed Olson always saying he had to eat before he went because Eddie liked to serve French portions, not American portions. So very fond memory. Team building, uh, that was one of our strengths. And in fact, uh, uh, have fond memories of a trip to, to Marco Island with the team. Um, she was a detailed planner, and sometimes everything was planned to the minute. Uh, there's another trip uh, when uh, uh, Grand Metropolitan purchased Pillsbury. Eddie and I were summoned to go present to the new CIO, Bill Brandt, at, uh, in London. And afterwards, she suggested that we take a week to go tour. Literally, the bathroom stops were planned. So detailed planning was one of her strengths. I am very thankful that Eddie was in my life. Her courage and her mentorship as a female trying to break in a male-dominant sales world at the time was invaluable to me. She was tough on the outside but she cared deeply about people on the inside. She trusted me and that trust helped me build a pretty successful sales and sales leadership career. And for that, I will always be thankful to Eddie. I will remember her fondly. Eddie, we miss you. Hi, this is Dave Carey, and I'm gonna tell you a story about my friend, Reed Olson. Reed was a sales rep and I was an SE at the time and we worked together on General Mills and a whole lot of other customer engagements. Reed really liked discussing big world issues and so did I. So we got to know each other really well. One of the things that Reed really loved was fishing. And as I think about it, it wasn't just the sporting part of fishing that he loved, but really everything about it, the lake, the boat, the trees, the sky, and especially the fish. He fished for muskie. And for those of you who have ever done that, you know, it's really difficult. Some years he'd go without getting a bite at all. 
but he talked about muskies kind of like they were his family members. He loved them so much. So one time he and his wife, Cindy, had me and my wife, Vicki, up to their cabin, which was on Leech Lake. And of course, zero dark 30, one morning, he got me out on his boat looking for muskies. And I'm not a fisherman, so he really wanted to sort of show me the ropes. And he taught me how smart muskies are. And one of the things that they'll do is they'll follow a lure uh, kind of back to the boat for a while before they are, they're convinced that it's, that it's real and strike it. So we were in pretty shallow water, which, you know, not really far from the shoreline. And wouldn't you know it, we saw one following his lure. And sure enough, he caught it. It was not a really a big one. Uh, Reed was the sort of guy that would only keep very, very large ones. But he was still really, really happy um, that I got to experience it. And, you know, while I was with him, he was actually able to catch one. So, of course, he returned it to the lake, but then something really bad happened and he accidentally just nicked it with the prop. And I didn't even realize what had happened, um, but Reed heard it and he knew immediately what had happened and his face was just horror. And he said, oh, my God. And he just jumped out of the boat right into the water and he found it. And then he yelled to me that it was still alive, but he needed to walk it around to kind of push water through its gills and revive it, which I didn't even know was a thing. He literally marched that fish up and down the shoreline for a long time, like 30 minutes. And eventually, amazingly, it perked up and it swam away. And Reed was just, besides being freezing cold, he was just emotionally drained and actually still really mad at himself for quite a while. Um, it was a pretty emotional thing for him. And I had never seen anything like this. And it really showed me that when Reed said he loved the fish, he really meant it. Uh, later on, um, he told me that if scientists, determined that the sport of fishing was detrimental to the fish population or the environment, the lake environment, he'd give it up in a heartbeat, even though he absolutely loved it. Now, I thought about this moment with Reed very often over the years because it really made a big impression on me when I was, when I was pretty young and just sort of at the beginning of my career. Reed was um, a quintessential all-in guy. If he believed in something, he would not compromise his values for anything, not convenience or comfort or money or some other pressure, management pressure or anything. And I admired that so much about him. Reed, we miss you. Hi, I'm Jane Schimmel. I'm going to talk to you about Kate Clark, also known as Kate Schimmick. Um, she was the original, I believe, the original Firefox to Hewlett Packard. Um, when I started in 1984, she was kind of the mom of us. It was her, Colleen friend, Colleen O'Connell, and Linda Mark and myself, and we were quite young, um, probably a little bit older than Kim, her daughter, who later came to work with us. So um, she was kind of our mama. Um, actually, she was kind of everybody's, I think, in the office. <laughs> One unique thing about her that I remember is um, in that in the 1980s, you know, the phones were all ringing, the CEs had pagers, and we kind of sat in the square in the middle of the room. And they were still, I think they were still working on the back part of the building. So um, you could really hear the phones ringing and, and we'd be looking for CEs to help somebody on site that would call into us. And as soon as Kate stood up and she was tall, all the CEs would go down, like grab their phone. They were on their phone or they were at their desk or something. So it was really funny. And she got something I can't remember the name of it, but it was like the scope. I I don't remember, but it was really funny. So it, it if we could film that today, it would be 
quite funny, I think. Kate up and everybody down. So that was really fun. We were always looking for CEs to help us out on the phone in those days. Um, another thing I remember is, as Sophie talked earlier, hair was very important in those days at Hewlett Packard. <laughs> and um, as much as us girls had the permed hair, all the guys had to have their hair cut short. And Kate was the hair cutter of Hewlett Packard. I had forgotten about this and was reminded by Kevin, but she actually had a little closet somewhere where she'd actually go and cut people's hair. So that was really um, quite fun to remember that also. Um, I had my babies after I started at HP. And of course, Kate was gracious and gave me a shower at her home. And um, it was fun. I, I know several of us went over to her house to get our perms after work in those days. So that was a wonderful memory. She was just really fun to have around, quick-witted, um, always willing to help, kind of a smart, always had a little smart remark with a smirk. Um, and, and she was just, she was just great for us to have, especially being young girls in those days, starting out as moms. And, um, we really kind of looked up to her and she was, she was really fun. Thanks you guys. And Kate, we really miss you. Hello, my name is Desmond Kilcoyne and this is a tribute and story of Mike Stringer. Mike had little fear and live life to the fullest. I really do mean that. Maybe it was his experience getting through Hodgkin's disease or his mom's early passing, or he was just that way. I, I don't know, but he lived life to the fullest. And he lived the HP way in and out of the office and made Larpenter a unique place because he was very approachable, respectful, smart, and kind. His dad had a very long tenure and retired from HP. His stepmom worked here, and his brother has over 30 years and still works at HP. So I think HP Way is in his blood. Mike lived with me at my Como Park home until we separated, when he decided to live with his future wife, Perry. We did lots together and have more than our fair share of stories. Actually, Mike and I have left dinner parties where we told story after story, laugh after laugh, the great amusement of guests. A couple stories though, around living together when building a deck off the back of my house, I needed to remove a window to replace it with sliding doors. The doors didn't quite fit in between the existing joists, so instead of waiting for me to remove the joists and build new ones, he ran out to the garage, grabbed my sledgehammer, and just hammered the opening wider, said, done, and walked away. <laughs> When working on his Jeep, instead of cutting the radiator hose, he cut the air conditioning hose. So finesse and building or fixing things may or may not be one of his strong suits. He did build a beautiful, what he called a shack in the back, and a bridge over Browns Creek, which ran through his Stillwater property. The shack in the back was a large screen building with a deck in the woods next to the creek, lit only by candles he and Perry would entertain. The cool part is many, many years later, his daughter Juliana would get a surprise and was asked to her high school prom from whence inside the shack in the back. She heard about it but never seen it. Until then, I hear that the bridge had to be extended over the creek a bit, but the shack in the back still stands strong. One memorable snowmobile trip, and very late one night, at a bar, and after he woke up from his standing up nap, Mike decided he was going to go back to the cabin on his own instead of staying overnight in town. He did get lost. He did get pulled over by the sheriff while driving along the highway, and he did eventually make it back to the locked cabin. Wayne Carlson and I made our way back early the next morning, checking into every bar, you know, looking for Mike and checking if anyone had saw him to no avail. 
Sure, we had a couple of drinks from people who said how smart, good, and nice guys we are not to have snowmobiled home the night before. But we were sure getting the day started early, if you know what I mean. Anyway, we get back to the cabin and no Mike. Cabin is still locked. Well, when Mike got there in the middle of the night, he couldn't get in. He just walked into an unlocked cabin, made himself at home, and fell asleep on their couch. And woke up to strangers looking over him, asking each other if anyone knew him. Made friends and had breakfast together. That was Mike. So, we miss and we think of you often, Mike Stringer. Hi, I'm Nancy Ketchell, and I'm going to talk to you about LaVon Hamper. LaVon Carboni Hamper Scholz was Italian through and through, and she was a, a much-loved part of the HP family. I believe it was her dad's couple of brothers that were the owners and proprietors of Carboni's Pizza, which most people know of here in the Twin Cities area. and. Um, at most of her time at HP, she was an administrative supervisor and eventually moved on to Agilent Technologies. Uh, when I think about LaVon, what I think of is the gifts that she possessed, and she had many. Um, among those were hospitality and generosity. She just loved events. She and I were kind of party girls and enjoyed all the different things that, you know, we got to get together with HP and, and even just the casual get togethers at steak and ale or whatever. Uh, but she loved planning and executing events. And she was always ready to lend a helping hand to anybody else that was doing something. She was just get right in there and help on any project, whether whether it was a lot of fun or not. She was just very generous with, with her time and with her talent. And in fact, that's something that she said often is uh, talked about people giving of their gifts and talents and how important that is. And she was a great model for that. Now, as we know, us old timers, there were many product lines back in the day. And we, those of us that worked there at that time, you know, with 01, 02, 03, 04, et cetera, um, had a lot to learn because most of us at some point in time interfaced here and there. But Lavon really made it uh, a part of her goal to learn a lot about all the businesses. And she worked in several of them and contributed greatly to all of them, I think. She really enjoyed being a supervisor. And she the biggest part of that is she loved assisting employees to uh, set their goals and reach them and uh, she was great at development, and she was one of those people that thought you were successful if somebody got promoted beyond you. So that that makes for a good supervisor manager, as far as I'm concerned. And um, she and I worked a lot together. We were both kind of policy wonks, so nobody else likes that stuff. So she and I had a good time helping policies together and update policies when it was time. And I always made fun of her because. She had to have a form for everything. I go, LaVon, this form has three blanks. We don't need this form. Nope, got to have a form, got to document. You know, I said, okay, fine. You design the form you, and then you sell it. And so she would have to go out and tell everybody, you need to use this form now, which often created a lot of groans. But guess what? They were helpful. <laughs> so, and she actually enjoyed designing and introducing the forms and, and hearing the groans. That's the kind of person she was. And she and I um, also, one of the big things we did together is we taught uh, a class called Working Groups. And we kind of took it on the road. We went to Chicago to some, you know, taught some admin and, of course, locally. And it was really a lot of fun. And LaVon was a great trainer. She, you know, had, she always made it fun. She was very thoughtful. She could go off page and, you know, use her own examples and that kind of stuff. Very, really adept at being a trainer. Well, some of the adjectives that come to mind for me when I think about LaVon are that she was fun, I think first and foremost, had a wonderful sense of humor, and she blended that into everything she did, and she was very enthusiastic, she was creative, a good listener, compassionate, and one of the things that always stood out to me was how inclusive she was. 
she would, you know, if we'd be doing something, she'd say, well, oh, maybe we should include this group or this person or whatever. She's always thinking about who and what should be going on. And especially towards the end of her life, uh, it came out how just very courageous she was and really, really loving. Levon was a single parent for her two, her, her two daughters, Anne and Amy, uh, for really the whole time did just an amazing job with them. They're both delightful and they grew up to be independent, strong, funny women. And uh, she had a really nice marriage in her second marriage with Terry Schultz, who of course was with her to the end. And Levon left us way too soon in April of 2004 and she was just a few weeks shy of her 55th birthday. Levon was a blessing to many. We miss you, Levon. Hi, this is Mary Sue Danke Stothert, and I'm going to tell you a few stories I have of Gail Knudsen while working at Hewlett Packard. I work with Gail in Comsys, um, lovingly referred to as the fishbowl. When I started in 1983, Gail was already there. I do not know how long she was there before me, but she trained me in, and um, we had a lot of fun. So, the two memories that I specifically remember about Gail the first one is Jeff Renfro was our manager, and Gail and I were sitting by Webster, which was a computer in which Rolling Meadows would send reports to us. And Gail and I would sit at the council and we would print reports that were received onto tape um, for our office. So we were there at the council of Webster and we looked up and saw Jeff Renfro walking slowly towards the front door of Comsys. And he had that look like we thought we were really in trouble. We didn't know what we did, but we thought we were in trouble. So he makes it to the front door. He walks all the way back to where we were sitting and out behind his back pops two heart shaped boxes of chocolate candy. It was Valentine's Day. And Gail and I were never so relieved that that's what it was. It was so sweet. And that was a great memory that we have together. Um, the second one was um, shortly after I started, Gail had a work party at her home in Egan. And I can't recall off the top of my mind who was all there, but I think Mary Mauricio was there. Anyway, we ended up in the basement, the unfinished basement that had a concrete floor. And I remember dancing and jumping off of furniture onto the concrete floor. And the next morning I woke up and I had shin splints. <laughs> so those are my really wonderful memories of Gail. She was a kind, caring, gentle soul all around. And we miss you, Gail. Hi, I'm Kevin Dumais. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about our, our dear friend, Mike McClure. And a uh, lot, lot of stories I've got about, uh, about Mike. He was uh, a very interesting and fun person to be around. But one of them is, is, is his love for golf. My, um, Mike, Mike really enjoyed golfing. And I recall that uh, back when, actually before Tiger Woods became famous as a pro, Mike had told me, hey, there's this golfer named, named Tiger Woods who is really, really, really good. And I'm going, ah, Tiger Woods, who the heck is Tiger Woods? And so obviously I ended up learning who Tiger Woods was, but Mike knew, you know, about Tiger Woods, I think before most of the rest of us did. And so Mike was an avid, avid, you know, watcher of golf. And so uh, spent, you know, many, many days out on the golf course uh, with Mike McClure and, and, you know, had a great time with him. And uh, I think actually one time he bought some, forged golf clubs because tiger used them so mike r.i.p buddy uh we miss you and and we all have great memories of you hi my name is carla holly and i'm going to tell you a story about karen youngdahl um, first of all, I'd like to say Karen possessed many character traits which defined her both at work and in her personal life. 
I'm assuming that you will recognize some of these. She was spontaneous, temperamental, protective, creative, and provocative. She also possessed great passion and love for a variety of her life's components, all of which she indulged to the fullest. Among those were her daughter, skating, sailing, gardening, including judging the Minneapolis Beautiful Gardening Competition annually after retirement, the arts, both theater and music, walking. She would walk around Lake Harriet not just once but twice, not just once for Karen. Today, I'm going to focus on several of her passions that come together in an adventure I shared with her, these being travel, wine, art, the ocean, and her love of HP. Let me take you back to approximately 2002. HP had gone through drastic changes under Carly's leadership. Karen had just taken an early retirement package and was sad to leave at HP at the same time that she was excited, though unsure about the future. I was on a long-term consulting assignment in Palo Alto, and she came out to join me for a long weekend. Wine, travel, art, and HP. Even though trip in, the trip involved no HP visits, it was more like a farewell to HP's California soul, which so many of us loved and felt during training and meetings in California. She described this as her farewell to HP weekend trip in California. As was typical with Karen, we had no specific plans. She liked experiencing the inner soul of any location unscripted as possible. We just knew we were going to head to Napa Valley for sun, wine, and relaxation. Thus, we stopped at a couple of wineries with no particular path in mind. Ultimately, we ended up in Calistoga at the far north end of the valley. At least at that time, it was the least traveled part of Napa. Very quirky, it was called Up Valley by the locals. We found an equally quirky, quirky, funky motel and spa that was ready made for a unique experience. Standard motel rooms with the outside rest entrance, mud baths attached, little courtyards filled with long wooden picnic tables at which extremely casual tourists were drinking bottles of wine and partying, and I suspect enjoying additional, enjoying additional non-controlled substances. It was the essence of informal and laid back. We definitely joined in with our own bottle of wine, and of course, Karen had a few ciggies. That evening, we walked to dinner at the Calistoga Inn and enjoyed the outdoor patio vibe next to a creek with Japanese lanterns and live music and plenty of wine. Karen spotted an artist posting on a bulletin board. Remember, there was no significant internet contact back then. The posting consisted of a huge handprint and the address for the art, an artist where he hosted Saturday morning tours. Of course, we called and signed up. On Saturday, after spending the morning at the artist's house, we headed south through Napa and Sonoma with no plan. We made a brief stop in downtown Sonoma and did a little wine tasting. There were no hotel rooms available any near, anywhere near Sonoma, so we just kept moving. We decided that we had to see the ocean. So we headed towards Muir Woods and stopped at Stinson Beach. The only way to describe Karen's arrival at the beach was pure unadulterated joy. She literally jumped out of the car and went running across the beach to take in the sight, sounds, and sense of the glorious seaside. That's all she needed, just some time on the beach to soak it in. No need for a picnic or other activities. We spent the night in Nevada on our way back to Palo Alto. This brief trip turned out to be extraordinarily memorable. I hope it brought to Karen the experience she was seeking in her farewell to HP. It certainly fed her passions for spontaneous, spontaneous travel, wine art, and the ocean. We miss you, Karen. Hi, my name is Doug Kaywood, and uh, I worked at Hewlett Packard uh, at a time when there was a, a friend of mine, a friend of a lot of us named Pat Stockwell that used to work there as well. Um, you know, her and I were friends and we definitely did stuff and talked a lot in the office, but we weren't, you know, like close buddies. So I, I, I can't say that I'm a, was a really close friend of hers, uh, but I just thought I'd share a couple little things and, and maybe a snippet or two of some stories that I got from a couple other people. So, um, and hopefully this will kind of spur some memories or thoughts some of you guys have as well. 
So uh, first of all, she was like crazy, crazy smart. I think she was a chemist. I believe she worked in the medical area, uh, in the medical you know, part of, of uh, Hewlett Packard. And uh, she was kind of funny because she was always super positive, always laughing, you know, telling jokes, you know, just kind of quirky, goofy. But she was funny because if you said something, um, you know, that just she knew wasn't right or was dumb or whatever, she would have no qualms about calling you out on it and, and correcting you <laughs> with, with what that was. So, uh, you know, she was very, she was kind of like that. She was just a very, this is what I am. You take it or leave it. You better like it or not. She was that way with management, which maybe wasn't the best thing for her sometimes, but she was, but she was just, she was what she was. And she was, you know, she was awesome. She was a lot of fun. And like I said, she just loved to have fun and laugh. She, you know, she'd um, uh, love to go to the things that we were doing where there was some sort of a party involved or something social. So she was at, I used to hold these uh, Woody golf tournaments. She was at a lot of those Woody golf tournaments. Um, somehow, and, and it's kind of funny, I, I talked to a couple of people and they're kind of the same way. So she was, uh, she had been divorced and so she had a, a son that I don't think I ever met. Uh, uh, but she would just sort of appear in these things. So people have like a little spot memory of certain things, but they can't really remember the whole thing. So maybe she was doing some of that chemist stuff on them. So like, I remember meeting her some, for some reason in the Florida Keys. Um, and I don't know whether I was there. She happened to be down there on vacation or what the deal was. Um, uh, Crescent uh, Hoffman uh, told me a story about um, – uh, how she was, uh, her, she went to Vegas with her. And, and she said the main thing she can remember is that she was, they're all partying and drinking on the airplane on the way there. She spilled a drink on her white pants and somehow another the print from the seat got onto her pants. So I guess they just had a huge laugh about that. And another fun little story from Desmond Kilcoin. Um, she came to visit him when he was living in Chicago and, um, uh, she ended up having the, <clears throat> an opportunity to spend some time with, with Desmond's dad. Desmond's dad was truly like, like a leprechaun. I mean, you know, hundred percent Irish acted, you know, kind of act sounded like that. And she absolutely loved him. Um, and evidently afterwards, she was a, supposedly like a master seamstress. So uh, afterwards she made them all t-shirts that had some phrase on it that uh, the only way you could understand what the phrase meant is if you said it with a really, really strong Irish accent. So Dad's always thought that was like one of the coolest things ever. So anyway, um, hopefully those are a couple little things. Maybe it'll you know, spur some memories or, or uh, bring a little twinkle to your eye a little bit about Pat. And uh, I'd just like to end by saying, you know, Pat, we really miss you a lot. Oh, hi, this is Betty Jo Wilson. I'm here to talk uh, about Paul McFarland. I've got a couple memories about Paul. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, sales related. He was one of my, uh, he's my, my second sales manager and he was very short. And my first sales manager was also very short. And we had a, uh, you could either be a long sales rep or a short sales rep. And that meant not the height, but I thought it really did because both of my sales managers were short. It actually meant, was it a short sales cycle or was it a long sales cycle? So it took me a while, uh, until I got to like the third sales manager that was a normal size sales manager that I discovered that that title had nothing to do with if you're tall or if you're short. But Paul was really a great mentor. He was a great manager. He, he was a good rep himself just on Honeywell and did international things. So as a young rep, I did learn a lot from him. Uh, and we were all just killing it on our sales, uh, on, on our quotas that year, or uh, one particular year. And Paul was, he did a very good job of, of managing up. And we didn't have to fill out any sales reports. We just had to keep them uh, up to date on what we were doing and how we were doing it and why we were doing it. And then he he made the mistake of telling, and we became like the darling of the central division because we were doing so well on our quota. And so he made the mistake of saying, the reason we're doing so well is because of our account business plans. Because management kept asking, you know, is it, 
you know, why, why is it that you guys are doing so well and, and we want other people to do that better. And so give us some ideas of what you're doing. And so he went in and explained it was all due to the account business plans, which we, none of us had done one yet. And then we ended up having to go to like, you know, we had regional meetings that we ended up going to. And so he had, he called a, a team meeting and he said, I'm really sorry. I, I try hard not to make you fill out paperwork that you don't have to pay, fill out. But I've been saying that our success is to, due, due to account plans and they're looking for him. So we all have to fill out account plans. <laughs> so we had to retroactively say, do like, you know, I think we had to do like three of them, like Q1, Q2, Q3. We had to retroactively figure out how to do these and how to make them look like it wasn't exactly uh, how we were, you know, our performance that was kind of off, you know, but kind of in the right direction. And it, it just cracked me up. <laughs> it was so, it was so upper management of, you know, don't just take success that it's the team and what they're doing, but it had to be some particular thing, which is the account management stuff. But uh, he really loved his team. And he, you know, he liked going out to lunch with us, even when we were in, in these big regional meetings, you know, he was always being called into management meetings and he would, and dinners and he'd sneak away and go, okay, I have to go to this dinner, but where are you guys going to be? Cause I want to meet up with you for drinks later. You know, so he's always sneaking back to be with us. But he was a bit of a, he was a perfectionist. And I, at this time I was pretty young in the, in the sales career. And so I had young kids and and so my my van that minivan that I was driving was rather messy. And in fact, uh, John Aiken said you could often eat a full meal out of whatever's on Betty Joe's floor in the van. And Paul McFarlane obviously had an extremely neat car that was everything was in place and, and everything was well, uh, you know that extremely clean. I don't think he even drank coffee in his car. But we ended up going to lunch and there was a number of us. So for some reason I was driving and he had to be in my van. <laughs> he just went on and on and on. And so so we we from that point on we decided that I would never drive to a lunch again. <laughs> but uh yeah so but I really enjoyed Paul. And we miss you, Paul. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this tribute episode. I'll be back before too long with some regular episodes as soon as I can convince a few more people to be interviewed. Until then, take care, everybody.